all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her lips. And just to continue that one, it's from 1 Samuel 2 on page 240, verses 1 to 10. Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. And there is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly, or let arrogant words come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and actions are weighed by him. But the bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven, but the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some to Sheol, and he raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the garbage pile. He seeks them with the noblemen and gives them a throne of honour for the foundations of the earth of the Lord's. He has set the world on them. He guards the steps of his faithful ones, but the wicked perish in darkness, for a man does not prevail by his own strength. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king, He will lift up the horn of his anointed. And the second reading is from Luke 1, on page 941. On page 941, a reading from verses 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour, because he has looked with favour on the humble condition of his slave. Surely, from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Hi everyone, LT's my name, I'm one of the pastors here at Church by the Bridge and I'm anticipating that God will deeply encourage our souls this afternoon. So I'm hoping that you've come expecting that. So, in light of that, why don't we pause? I'm not going to pray, but why don't you take a quiet moment to prepare your heart and mind that you might hear God and be encouraged. Let's do that for a moment.
Amen. Oh, for most of us, if not all of us, I'm sure, there's been a time in your life where you might say you've been brought to your knees. I'm not sure what words you would use to describe that time. Maybe a time where you actually felt both hopeless and helpless. Both desperate and downcast. Essentially a time of of sorrow for any number of circumstances. It could have been one thing that caused that. It could have been a myriad of things that in the complexity of life often come together all at once for the perfect storm. To cause a time of sorrow that has driven you to your knees. And whether you're here this afternoon as someone who claims to be a person of faith following Jesus or not, it could be true that you were brought to your knees. And if that's the case, what happened next? The amazing gift we have to us is God's word and today this part of God's word. Over January we're doing a series, uh, a handful of Old Testament prayers. That somehow we might be inspired, encouraged in our own prayer life. And so today we've been given the gift of this passage a passage which is both deep and rich and so profound. I found myself, as I've been living with this part of God's word, discovering this person of Hannah that I know now that I will not do justice to what God has for us in this passage. In one sense, I feel like we'll be doing a bit of a a surface reading Because there is true depth and richness to the narrative we have of this passage. As we're given the gift of this person, Hannah, who is is most definitely an example of someone who knows what it is to respond in prayer where you're in sorrow because of your circumstances. Someone who discovered what it is to have your life transformed, actually, by turning to God in prayer at those times. What we have in the gift of Hannah to us recorded in 1 Samuel is is the gift of what it looks like in a real person to respond to a real God who's made himself known to you in a time when you have sorrow because of your circumstances. And that response is simply one of prayer. Last week we looked at Jehoshaphat's prayer and if in summary it was, we do not know what to do but we look to you, O Lord. We do not know what to do but we look to you. If that was the catch cry of what we picked up from learning about prayer, this week it's from 1 Samuel 1 verse 15. Please have a look at it if you've got your Bibles open. 1 Samuel 1 verse 15. I think it's good to say things out loud together that they might actually come into our hearts 
and get a bit deeper into our hearts. So let, let's say these words together, not the whole verse, but I'll, I'll say what we're going to say together and then we can say that together. I have been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Can we say that together? I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. What I want us to go away with this afternoon is those words. I've been pouring out my heart to the Lord. And as we come to hear those, you might say, yes, there's, a, there's, there's definitely times where I can say, I could say that. And if not, I want to give you those words as a gift so that when the time comes for you to use them, you will use them. And it will be true that you'll find yourself pouring your heart out to the Lord. And Hannah, we get a picture of what that might look like. So we're going to focus on this part of God's word, which we often do through a wider lens of the whole Bible that we might get the picture of where this fits in. And we might get to that, time willing. But we're going to look at it through a narrow lens and looking at the person of Hannah and what we might learn about prayer. So firstly, uh, Hannah's sorrow. The lights hit the stage, the curtains rise on 1 Samuel to the sound of crying, to the sound of weeping, a grief-stricken weeping. And what we discover, it's a woman crying, her name is Hannah. Uh, she's broken because she's barren, unable to have children. We're told God has closed her womb, weeping even before the throne of God. And if you found yourself as hopeless and helpless and you know what that meant for you at whatever time it, it was, here we have a, a woman, hopeless and helpless, desperate and downcast, because although she has so much in her life, a good and godly husband, financially provided for, there's one thing she doesn't have that her heart longs for. And that's simple, your child. She longs for a child. So look at the many words used to describe her situation and response. Verse 7, she wept and would not eat. You may know that feeling. Verse 8, she was troubled. Verse 10, deeply hurt, bitterness of soul. Verse 11, affliction. Verse 15, broken hearted. Verse 16, great anguish and grief because she longed for a child. Like many people, maybe here today. But she bears this grief alone. Elkanah, her husband, has sons and daughters. But as is true with many Bible stories, the surprise is not with Hannah, because he has a second wife, Panina. And not only does that wife have multiple children, to add insult to injury, she chooses to add insult to injury by taunting Hannah. We're told that twice. Her rival, 
she's called, would taunt her severely just to provoke her. Her rival taunted her in this way every year. She used to rub it in, provoke her to irritate her, provoke her until she wept and wouldn't eat. That's the sorrow of Hannah, someone who longed for a child. And the story begins at the time each year when her grief came to its sharpest focus. You might be at a point where you longed for children or have been, and there's been times where that grief has come to its sharpest focus. Hopefully it wasn't when someone who might have been your rival was rubbing your nose in it. But it could have come at other subtle times. Maybe just turning up to church was hard because of all the families who do have children. And so you know personally the grief of Hannah for yourself. But there may be other reasons for a similar sorrow to Hannah because of different circumstances. A sense of emptiness with a heart full of distress. A sense of being, like Hannah, literally brought to your knees. Hopeless and helpless, distressed, desperate, downcast. There's notice the two voices uh, that come to Hannah. Obviously, I've mentioned one, the rival, Penina, with her taunting words, a voice to Hannah. But let's notice the voice of her husband, Elkanah. Why don't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? I suspect well intended, but very inadequate. Aren't I enough for you? Isn't my love enough for you? Somehow no. Sorry. Two voices that Hannah's hearing. I, I think, you know, like a bit like a shadow that she could keep looking at and be triggered by. Is if, yes, that's right, you should be enough. Because, yes, having a husband is always enough. Or having a child, yes, well, Yes, that is the ultimate goal, isn't it? As if, yes, having a child is always enough. But what's interesting to notice, Hannah doesn't answer those voices. She hears those voices and leaves them like shadows that she doesn't respond to. She could have been triggered. It's a, it's a word I've discovered in the last 12 months, actually. My, my teenage daughter, Sienna, introduced that word to me. Um, Maybe taunting me. As I've had a response to her and something she said, and she said, you've been triggered, Dad. So I thought, oh, actually, I'm going to use that. 
It does capture something, doesn't it? When you've been provoked by something or someone, it's as though someone's pulled the trigger. Something, yeah, something comes out. <laughs> and you can imagine Hannah, couldn't you? With, with the voices of her own husband saying, oh, isn't my love enough? I'm not sure what response that could trigger, but it could be something like, as if. Or I long for a child, not just you. Or even from the taunting other woman. I mean, as if that wouldn't be enough to trigger someone. And a wrong response. But she doesn't. She doesn't answer those two voices. Instead, out of her sorrow, Hannah prays. Hannah prays. Verse 9. Hannah got up after they ate and drank Shiloh. Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's tabernacle. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction. Remember and not forget me and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. Hannah prays when she's helpless and hopeless, desperate and downcast. When she's, when she's weak and got nothing. When she's been brought to her knees, what does she do? She prays. It's a heartfelt prayer. There's no formula to it. It's simply out of the depths of her heart, she pours out her heart to God. It's heartfelt. It's specific. And it's to God. And you'd have to say it's for God's glory. Because what she asks for, she's promising to offer to God for his service. Heartfelt, specific, for God's glory. We'll think about it in a little while, but what she's experiencing comes from what she's experiencing. And if she hasn't experienced that, she wouldn't be experiencing what she's experiencing. That is... Her profound pain prompted her to pray. I wonder what prompts you to pray. I have a friend who actually is in ministry, full-time ministry as well, as a church pastor. And over the years, uh, he said to me, gee, I'm, you know, I'm always so busy. I wish I could, you know, I wish I could slow down. I mean, the irony of that is he's his own boss. He's only busy because he's made himself busy. But my, my immediate response in the last couple of years, <laughs> kind of in jest, but actually partly serious. Well, I'll tell you the clue to slowing down if you want. Easy. Get a chronic illness. So it slowed me down. No problem. Then I have a bit of a laugh. <laughs> but it's interesting, you don't want to mistake those opportunities, do you? But those gifts of circumstances that cause sorrow, that, that cause you to be hopeless and helpless, you actually don't want to jest with those. Like Hannah, you want to see them as a gift. 
not just to slow you down, but to provoke prayer in you. And don't be surprised if you don't pray, if God gives you a gift to slow you down that actually might provoke you to pray. Because God wants nothing more. If he hasn't all proven already in giving his son, he wants nothing more than his humble servants, his sons and daughters, to have a deep and profound communion with him expressed in prayer. Hannah's sorrow, Hannah's praise, Hannah's peace. Verse 18 of chapter 1. Don't think of me. Oh, sorry, yes, 18. May your, your servant find favour with you, she replied. This is to the dopey priest, Pastor Eli. Come to him in a moment. May your servant find favour with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. So she prayed, and notice, I forgot to mention, verse 9, the sense of that she got up is like she, the sense of that actually is that she took a stand. You know the phrase, um, she, you could say she put a foot down. You know that, that phrase, where someone's making a decisive action. But her action is prayer. It's not action really at all, it's prayer. So she prays, and what comes next is a peace having been promised a reassurance from Eli. It's a peace that comes. It's actually proof that her prayer that she prays isn't a bargain with God, in case you were thinking that's what it is. If her prayer was a bargain with God, God, if you answer this, I'll do this. If it was a a bold, simple bargain, this is how the, the narrative would work. It'd be problem, Hannah's problem, Prayer, provision for that problem or solution, and then the peace would come. Oh, thank you, Lord, you've provided. But that's not how the story goes, is it? Because the provision hasn't come yet, but Hannah has peace already. For Hannah, it's a problem. She prays, and the peace comes before the provision. Because prayer is transforming. If you're praying it to God, seeking his reassurance in who he is. And of course, it's not a bargain also, because it goes on in the narrative, so the provision comes, and it doesn't stop there, is it? does it? Because then she bursts forth in praise, which shows this, this whole story is about God and who he is, and Hannah gets who God is. That's why she prays, a humble servant, acknowledging who she is before God. The Lord of hosts, ruler, sovereign over everything. Somehow she knows her gods, and so she assumes that this God, Lord of hosts, who knows everything, will be concerned about this obscure woman and her concerns. And the other proof it's not a bargain is because what she promises... The sacrifice is all hers. 
She promises to give this child essentially away to the service of God. The sacrifice that will come with that is social, so she'll keep standing out as someone who doesn't have a child, as if she's got God's curse. Social standing, that will be the sacrifice. Financial security, she's sacrificing as well because that's how she'd be provided for in life. And emotional cost. She's sacrificing the beauty and wonder of emotional depth in relationship with children. It's no bargain because what she's promising is all sacrifice. And she can do this because we have Hannah's sorrow, Hannah's prayer, Hannah's peace. And what we see finally is that Hannah knows her God. That's the most dominating thing. Clearly, Hannah prays on the basis of her assumptions she makes about God that are firmly grounded in truth. She says, the Lord of hosts, for the first time that God's referred to in the Bible as the Lord of hosts. But she understands who he is, the one who rules over everything and all people, yet is concerned with every individual, cosmic ruler of the universe, someone as obscure as Hannah can hold up to God and pour out her heart to him. And of course she can do that because although we've been looking through the narrow lens of this part of God's word, if you step back to the wider lens, which is clearly what Hannah does, she's seeing life not just through the narrow lens of her circumstances, but ultimately through the wider lens of, of God's view of the world. And so she bursts forth in praise once this son comes, who she's dedicated to God, and she keeps a promise. And that's what we get in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And what we hear in that prayer there of praise, which we won't go through closely, is, well, two things, a pattern and a person. A pattern, did you notice the pattern which you possibly already know, which is the pattern of the kingdom? It's the pattern of God reversing everything. The weak, the strong, the empty, the fool, the poor, the rich. It's how God works. Hannah's discovered that for herself. Yes, I'm weak, but wow, God's lifted me up. I've got peace. And the person is God himself, the one and only God who rules over all things. Who will one day exalt a king who will come, who's anticipated through the birth of the child to Hannah, who is Samuel, who will come David. And then you, in the passage we heard from Luke, Hear the prayer of Hannah echoed with this other woman with an unexpected birth, Mary. And did you hear the words echoed? Because what we have here in the birth that comes with the prayer of Hannah anticipated is God's ultimate king coming in Jesus. God performing his ultimate reversal. Salvation through a death. God lifting up the weak, God showing his power through weakness. Through Jesus, God does the greatest of all reversals. How is it that this weak, hopeless and helpless, desperate, 
and downcast woman can pray and somehow God begins the next chapter of his unfolding plan of bringing the great King Jesus and Saviour. See, Hannah prays as she's learnt the lesson that God is the God who reverses things, turns things upside down. It's as though she knows if I hadn't experienced what I went through in the weakness and the sorrow, I wouldn't have discovered what I discovered, that I can pour out my heart to God. I mean, the poor thing, the priest who's meant to care for her soul, he wouldn't know spiritual expression if he stumbled across it. He stumbled across it and he thought the person was drunk. Poor thing, she gets rebuked when in actual fact she's pouring out her heart before the Lord. There's a quote from Spurgeon someone shared with us a little while ago. And it goes like this. I've learned to kiss the wave that slams me into the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the wave that slams me into the rock of ages. It's clever, isn't it? Was this somehow Hannah's discovered that? The wave of being childless that's actually overwhelmed her, swamped her and smashed her. She kisses because it smashes into her, into her God. And how much more should that be true for us as we know the rock of ages in Jesus? If Hannah is giving us a picture of what it is to pour out our heart to God, in times of sorrow, how much more so Jesus? In Matthew 26, we're told about Jesus praying in the garden, moments before his death. And Luke, sorry, Matthew 26, 37 says, taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And what happens next? There's Jesus' sorrow. Sorrowful, deeply distressed. My soul is swallowed up in sorrow. That's Jesus. He's swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Here is the king of the universe. Come to save his people. 
whose soul is swallowed up in sorrow. And he does nothing less than pray. King Jesus, face down. And you'd have to say, if it's good enough for the king, of course, that's the response we should have. Here's a gift from God to you of how it is and what it is to respond to God, to your circumstances in sorrow. Some of you, if not many of you, may testify to the reality of you've experienced this, so you've discovered this to be true already. That's certainly true for me. But if not, here's the gift to carry with you, to use at a time where you will find sorrow. If you're not there now, one day you will be. Don't miss the opportunity to pour out your heart to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what it provides for us. Giving us good news that we can know you as Father. Giving us models, examples, people to show us what it means to live in right relationship with you. Thank you for the gift of Hannah and the model to us of what it is to respond in our sorrow. And that is to pour our hearts out to you. Amen.